celebrating success, learning from legends, and growing poppies. This is Talk Poppy Talk with Grace Lewis. Kia ora and welcome to Tall Poppy Talk. Today we have Mike Emanuel. He is the Chief Washington Correspondent for Fox News Channel, joining the network in 1997 as a Los Angeles-based correspondent and also currently serves as a co-anchor of Fox News Live, among many other things he's jumping in on. He has contributed and covered major moments in history, including FNC's 2022 midterm election coverage, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, where he helmed overnight special coverage. He reported live from the Capitol during the Jan 6 riots and covered both the House and Senate proceedings surrounding both impeachments of President Donald Trump. Mike, in his role, has reported on key congressional races, the IRS scandal, attacks, confirmations, President Obama's 2015 State of the Union address, and so many other events, both both nationally and internationally. All over it, before joining FNC, Mike worked uh, at KCAL TV, a local independent station in Los Angeles. Uh, He was covering breaking news there, and then prior to that, He's become an honorary, self-proclaimed honorary Texan during his time covering local and state politics in Midland, Texas and Waco, Texas. And a born Jersey boy, Mike earned his bachelor's degree in communication at Rutgers, where he also announced play-by-play sports for Rutgers Athletics. And a happy belated birthday. We were one day out, I believe. So Thank you very much. Welcome to Tall Poppy Talk. My first question is where and how are you today? I'm in Washington, D.C. in our offices and I am doing great. Uh, as you mentioned, yesterday was my birthday and uh, my family made it very, very special. And so I am thrilled to be with you. Thank you for inviting me and uh, really excited about this conversation. Well, thank you. And first question, right, it's Monday morning, 10 a.m., what has your day already consisted of and what will it look like? Is there a typical day for you? It really varies day to day, but typically what we do is, um, you know, I'm kind of constantly processing information, reading a variety of sources, uh, going through tons of work emails. I get updates from what the president's doing from our White House teams. Uh, I know what lawmakers are doing, Congress members email you know with what updates on what they're doing so just try to like anticipate what's ahead in the day and to be ready for whatever pops up and and then obviously something breaks out of nowhere and you drop everything and you jump into that and so um you know it's it's just constant learning constant reading um just to try to be as prepared for whatever may come my way and um so I've been going through a lot of emails and just trying to uh, get a sense of where the week in politics may go. Interesting. Given especially it was your birthday yesterday, right? You want to spend time celebrating with family, friends, what may it, whatever it may be. But to your point, if something drops, like you helming the overnight coverage during the riots, like there are things that do just happen. Is this one of those jobs where you're like, it's not a job, it's a lifestyle vocation you can't switch off when you leave the office i do feel like it's kind of a calling you know i think uh when i was a child uh, my parents were news junkies and so we would have three newspapers in the driveway every morning 
the Wall Street Journal for the financial stuff, the New York Times for all the news, and then they had the New York Star-Ledger to track their three sons' sports activities. Um, and so we had that, and then they had the news radio on when we were eating our breakfast. Um, my father frequently, I'd walk in the room and he'd have a newspaper in front of his face and he'd have the news on the TV. So it was just kind of everywhere. And so I feel like I kind of grew up with the news all around me. And my parents said, you know, what's your passion? Find your passion. If, you, if you're passionate about it, you'll be willing to work really hard and you'll probably be really good at it or, or get to be really good at it. And so I said, my passion, I think, is the news, because I think how cool would it be to be at news events across the country and maybe one day around the globe being able to tell an audience like what's happening and you know being the first writer of history in some respects and so um you know obviously the historians go in and they do a much deeper dive at some point but if i'm there on the scene at a an historic moment uh what an opportunity what an honor and um I'm grateful for all the amazing opportunities I've had. That's so well said. And I love that you call it a calling because it really is. And just exchanging a few moments with you, you can feel that genuine enthusiasm and passion still for something that you've been doing from the get go. Like, did you, you, you say your parents were like, what's your passion? Where do you want to go? Heading into college, that was it. You always had that sort of direction pathway of, I want to end up being like the news anchor. So in high school, we had a, a newspaper at my high school, and so I was involved with that. My first week at Rutgers University, which you know very well, I picked up the student newspaper, the Daily Targum, and I saw an ad for the radio station. And it said, we're looking for DJs, and we're looking for news people, and we're looking for sports people, and we're looking for engineers and everything. And I put my paper down. I was eating my lunch, and I thought, I could be on the radio? How cool is that? And so I ended up doing radio play-by-play -play for Rutgers Athletics during my time in college. Um, I did a call-in show after games. Um, the Rutgers football team wasn't great while I was there. And so there were some disappointing losses. And so I took a lot of sad phone calls after Rutgers football games. But it was just unbelievable experience to be in front of a live microphone without a script just trying to narrate what I was seeing happening on the field. And, and in addition to being a news junkie, I'm also a big sports fan, very passionate about Rutgers athletics. And so um, it was just a phenomenal way to spend my college years. And I know as a former division one athlete, um, obviously your training and your competition took you away from the classroom at times. And you had to stay on top of your academics. And I would go tell my professors, I'd say, look, if I'm ever not in class, I swear it's not because I was out partying last night. It's because I'm off somewhere doing a game and I'm thinking about doing this for a career. And then the professors typically were like, oh, great. Yeah, do your thing. And then every once in a while, they'd say, hey, Mike, great game last night, huh? And I was like, aha, my professor was listening. So anyway. Oh, that's so cool. And that is very true. Like there's rules for a reason. You want people to come to class because for the general population, that's what's going to make them better. But if you have some kid who comes up to you and is like, I'm so in, like thrilled and passionate and I have this drive. As a professor, I can imagine now you're thinking, oh, wicked. What's this? 
what are they going to do? Like, I'm wanting to support this in any way I can. People are exceptions to the rule for those reasons, because when you have that drive and you know what you want to do. And another thing I was thinking of with the play-by-play, maybe you didn't even realize it at the time, but what you do with news, to your point, historians go in afterwards and tidy up all the details. But certain questions, if not asked at the time, will never really be able to be asked. You can retroactively go back and think, oh, I wonder what they were thinking, what they were feeling, where were people at? But more information's known. So for you to have trained through sports of, I need to think on my feet quickly and react to what's happening probably has helped a lot. And now the profession, because when you're interviewing people, you're thinking, oh, what do the people at home want to know? Or what are we going to want to yes. with asked later? Oh. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, when I covered the White House under President George W. Bush and under President Barack Obama, um, you'd get invited to a presidential news conference. So the room is full of 100 journalists, um, mostly American, but some journalists also from around the world. And you don't know if you're going to get called on. And so you would go in with a list of questions because what if the president calls on you 12th? And, you know, a lot of the obvious big story of the day questions are gone. You can't say like, president said, Mike Emanuel from Fox News. And I stand up and I say, I don't have a question, sir. Like that would be the last time I'd be invited to a presidential news conference. So that's a little bit nerve wracking in terms of, okay, so-and-so asked that question. So-and-so asked that question. All right, I'm checking them off my list. And in kind of on the fly, either coming up with a question to follow up on something that somebody just asked or to take a totally different direction because you realize if the American president weighs in on this particular topic, he'll make news potentially around the world. And so, um, yeah, so that was this athletics play-by-play, the unknown what's next in the game was kind of great training for what I would ultimately end up doing uh, in covering the White House under two American presidents. I'm loving imagining this A to B, like you in the radio Rutgers room and then at the White House. On that, like you read the room, there's certain questions, you want to make news, but you aren't after, like we mentioned before we started recording, you're not after clickbait. You have a reputation for not only the channel, but for yourself. So you want to be known as someone who asks intelligent, impactful questions. Have there been times when you're thinking like they do call on you and you're nervous about, oh, this question might push the boundary a bit far? Like how do you, I guess, gauge or have a self-test of, is this appropriate? Is it borderline or is it too far? Great question. Uh, some of that comes with experience. Um, but like I had covered George W. Bush going back to when he was in Texas, when he was first running for governor. So I knew him really, really well. And so after eight years of him in the White House, all of a sudden President Obama comes in and I don't know him or his team at all. And so Early on in 2009, when he took office, there was a financial crisis going on. And so he and his Treasury Secretary, Tim Geithner, were trying to reassure investors and people around the country and really across the globe that they were on top of the financial crisis. So I'm in the Oval Office 
the president of the United States for the first time with this new president, and he doesn't know me at all. And so I thought, like, how do I want his first impression of me to go? So as his aides are shoving us out of the Oval Office after the president makes a statement, do I want to be screaming something at the top of my lungs? Or is there a way to engage where it's kind of a decent icebreaker? And so when there's a new American president, everything he says is news. It's just different, right? And so I know he's a big sports fan. So tying this all together here, I say to him, Mr. President, as we're being kind of shoved out of the room, Mr. President, Steelers or Cardinals, sir, which was the Super Bowl for that year. And he gave me a minute and a half or maybe even two minute answer about the Super Bowl in the Oval Office during a financial crisis. But like, you know, he talked about how the quarterback of the Cardinals, Kurt Warner, was closest in age to him. So he kind of thought that was cool. But then he loved the Steelers because the Pittsburgh ownership had been really good to him as he was coming up in his political career. And so then I walked down to the press office and I went in and I said, did you hear that question about the Super Bowl? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, Fox News correspondent asked it. And guess what? He's going to be all over SportsCenter on ESPN and all the sports shows tonight. But you know, people were kind of curious, like just about he's the new president. What does he think about sports? What does he think about everything? How's he going to spend his weekends? You know, is he going to go to church or whatever? And so, um, so it was an icebreaker. And then, you know, I asked tougher questions, obviously going on. And, um, but I was always respectful of the American president because I have respect for the office, no doubt about it. And, it, and it, you know, I realize whoever's there, it's a really tough job. And by the time an issue gets to the president's desk, it's a big deal. And there are global implications most of the time. And so, you know, while you're sitting there and you're kind of like, why is this guy doing this? You also have to realize that he and one day she um, have access to a lot more information than everybody else does. And it's complicated and they're trying to do their best. And yes, you have to hold them accountable and ask good, smart questions, but you can do it with a respect to say, Mr. President, sir, and, um, and be firm, but, but polite. I mean, yes, respectful, but also authentic. Like you are a sports person. So if he had asked you back, you would have had a response to that. And I think, exactly given especially the financial crisis at the time to have a question that is just so wholesome I think would be the word and kind of not political obviously in the slightest maybe the sports teams would disagree that is just so quick to have thought of and to your point everyone would have been going oh the president thinks this this and this so always on seems to be your mindset and that ties into high performance because you're surrounded by high performers you are a high performer I speak a lot with athletes who sometimes their metrics are so based off, you know, times or scores, et cetera. And then you have a subjective field such as your own. So firstly, I'm curious, what are your metrics? Cause I'm sure in the game of news, there are metrics that I'm not aware of, but mm -hmm. firstly, how would you define high performance? High performance is um, I think, 
someone who is committed to being great, whether a lot of people are watching or nobody's watching. Um, you know, I think if you think of athletics, it's the person who's willing to put in all the work when the fans and the cameras aren't there, who's training, you know, crazy hours and eating right and sleeping right. And, and I, so I think in other fields, it's a commitment to excellence, even at off hours, just making sure that you're well-versed on your field, what you're doing and always prepared. And I always tell young people in our field, I say, if you show up every day with a smile on your face, eager to get better, eager to learn, and always with a great attitude, like in any field that can take you great places. So I, that's the example I try to lead for younger colleagues and just always being, uh, trying to be the best version of me. And, and so I hope that answered your question. Absolutely. You saw me nodding along because I love that part about it's when the cameras aren't there or when you aren't, I'm going to have to go back and listen to it, but essentially what, like, it's not only when people are watching, but when people are not watching. Yeah. And so That's in our field, we get graded, Grace, and I'm, forgive me for interrupting because I, I wanted Please. to answer part of your question. So we get graded every day in a sense of we get, ratings in terms of who's watching what shows and so our analysts can kind of go in and look and see okay like at six minutes after the hour it looks like the audience dipped a little bit well what was on then and so okay the audience didn't seem to love that topic as much or maybe didn't like my report as much or whatever and so we we're graded constantly about how we do and so you know all you can do is go in and do your best. And, and sometimes the audience might love your topic and sometimes they might not. But, you know, we also, I think to use a food analogy, we also feel like sometimes you got to provide some vegetables, right? And so, you know, there are times where like, oh, could that, this is kind of a dessert topic. Well, some vegetables are really good for you and good for the audience. And so they may not love it, but we should probably give it to them for like a balanced news product um but yeah we we find out regularly like how we're doing based on how many people tune in when they turn it off and uh hopefully not during my segments of course well <laughs> I, I enjoy that metaphor analogy very much and to your point about getting graded constantly uh, there's for high performers that's great in some aspects because you can pivot as appropriate yeah if there's a segment that people aren't enjoying you can break that down and understand why but sometimes I think there are just dips and flows and for no reason maybe dinner was ready so they just jumped off at that point like there and I'm sure there's a lot of numbers that they're working with but on it you get a lot of internal and external feedback or mm -hmm. judgment for lack of a better word and as I was mentioning beforehand this whole tall poppy syndrome that a lot of New Zealanders and Australians experience it is called crabs in a bucket I believe in Ireland if you've heard that where mm -hmm. the crabs try to prevent each other from getting out so with your limited knowledge of the tall poppy syndrome phrase I hope I gave a little bit of an explanation beforehand what has been your experience with that external and internal feedback constantly whether that be positive or negative how have you 
experienced it and evolved with it in your time? So Twitter, or now it's called X, um, is a constant source of feedback when you do what I do for a living. I'm easily findable on there and people will say, oh, you should ask this question or, oh, you were too, too easy on so-and-so or, oh, you know, you should have been better or, oh, you look terrible today. And so um, some of that's just like a sewer. And so sometimes I just try to like, just tune it out and just do my thing um, and know that if I'm not doing what I ought to be doing, that I have a bunch of talented colleagues who will tell me uh, I also have a family support system that'll say like, hey, that wasn't as good as you usually are. Um, but every once in a while, I do peek at what people are saying on social media just to kind of get a vibe of like, did they go crazy for a certain segment or are they, you know, not so thrilled with a certain segment? Not to take it personally and like allow it to tear me down, um, but just to to you know, as, as another metric in the course of your day to kind of get a sense of, wow, this really connected with people. Um, they seem to be really excited about this interview I did or the story I did. Um, maybe at some point we should do a follow-up or, uh, you know, a next segment that may build on that theme. Um, so, you know, social media can be interesting. It can be destructive. Um, I try to take it in small doses just as additional data to consider going forward. Very healthy, very well balanced <laughs> to, to say that. And I was going to ask is with the emphasis and evolution of social media, have you noticed more participation in the news, but maybe not as fully fledged, like people are opting in to to stories they want and maybe negating others. You mentioned the vegetables and desserts. Do you mm -hmm. think audience participation or kind of what would you call it? General population participation. What trends have you witnessed in the past 30 something years in the game? Well, I think what's concerning to me is we came from an era where like my parents would watch an hour show. And so they would get, the lighter stuff and they would get the major headlines and they would get you know the sad story um and i think now we're dealing with a generation that's grown up with all this information and technology at their fingertips where you know it used to be in america when the american super bowl comes on for american football every american would be around a tv set to watch and I've got a 17-year-old son and a 16-year-old daughter, and I have a hard time rounding them up to sit in front of the TV for more than a minute or two. Like They're just so used to whatever they're interested in is at their fingertips. And so I think as a content producer, as you are with this podcast, and as I am as a, as a journalist, it's a little concerning about... Um, the audience kind of self-selecting everything that they want and tuning out things that may not instantly be interesting to them, but maybe they should know about to be well-informed. And so uh, I'm sure there are a lot of smart people in our industry trying to figure out how to boil it down for the 
16 and 17 year olds right now. Um, but that is a bit of a concern because we used to think, all right, well, you know, if the person gives us 20 minutes, then they're going to get pretty good information about what's going on that day and some context and maybe some analysis. Um, but if they really want it in 30 seconds, then how well informed can they be? And are they only going to select kind of the, the blooper clips or the goofy stuff um, and not the significant news of the day? And so I think that's something we're all working to figure out and, and hoping maybe as they get a little older, they'll have a little more patience and be a little bit more interested in being more well-rounded. Um, and I'm not being disrespectful, but it just, they grew up in a different world with all this, as you did, all this information and uh, technology at your fingertips. And um, so they've been fortunate, blessed, lucky or whatever to, to have access to the world. Um, we just wanna figure out a way to keep them tuned in for a little longer. Definitely keeping engaged and when I came through school, I think I was on the cusp of where technology was really prominent. Like a handful of people in each class maybe had a laptop and most teachers didn't like it. So we had mm -hmm. to shut it. it. And social media was there, but it wasn't, you didn't have the influences or to the degree that you can escape it. And I, I look at the next generation and you have to laugh because you're I'm mimicking what I see like my grandparents do of, oh, this generation, this and this. Right. Um, but I do, I think, oh my gosh, I'm so lucky that I got the benefits of being able to engage and use social media. I love it for connecting. I'm from New Zealand. So you can easily message or FaceTime someone who's quite literally in the other hemisphere. Mm -hmm. But even in podcasting, you asked, is it visual or auditory? Auditory, because for me, I can't really dedicate well, I could, but I, I can't focus enough to dedicate watching, to your point, like an hour-long interview. But I do like to put it in, like have my earplugs in and continue my day, go for a walk and listen to it. So for me, the long-form auditory is good. But again, sometimes I'm thinking, I hope people listen to Mike at minute 32 because he said this really great thing. Uh, you almost want to like put a PSA, please listen till at least this point because you're going to miss the good stuff. So with the news, once it's out, it's gone. And I'm sure people, you know, you can go back and find the interviews and the videos, but you're producing stuff every day. So mm -hmm. if someone's not engaged on that day, they might miss it unless they have a reason or someone recommends for them to go back. And that feeds into a burning question I have for you, which might be tricky. I should have warned you. <laughs> but is there what are the notable highlights from you you know this is your calling where you've been reporting or some on something or talking to someone and you just think like oh this is this is a huge moment I can recognize like this is really cool or this is really difficult like big moments in your life so far so when you cover the White House each day a different television network is the pool network, meaning you have the closest access for the TV networks to the president. Wow. So the president's going to the beach today. And so you get whatever shots you can get of him at the beach, but there's not 10 cameras following him. There's one TV camera 
And if something pops up in the world and the president needs to make a brief, a brief statement, wherever he is, there's that one crew that's with him wherever he goes. So when I was covering President Bush, George W. Bush, he went to the Vatican one day and it was Fox's turn to be the pool network. And so I told my colleagues, I'm like, I'm not Catholic, but I am Christian and I have a healthy respect. And if there's an opportunity, I'd love to go to the Vatican. How cool would that be? And they said, sure, you should do, do it that day. And so went running through the halls of the Vatican and finally slam on the brakes and realized I'm in the Pope's private library with the Pope across the desk from the president of the United States. And so the idea is the, the TV and the other media people who are close to the president that day are in for like a minute and a half just to get some little chit chat between the two newsmakers and then they kick us out. And so Pope Benedict the 16th asked President Bush while I was in the room, how are things with Mr. Putin? Because we had just come from a G8 summit where things were tense between President Bush and President Putin. And so Bush looks over at me and the, the other reporters and he goes, I'll tell you in a minute. And then he looks at me and he goes, Mikey, how are you? And I thought, I'm in the Pope's private library where the president of the United States just called me Mikey in front of the Pope. How did I get here? You know, like, what a country, what a world. I can't believe I'm here. And then at one point, President Bush went to the Holy Land before he left office. Uh, and so I went to Jerusalem. And the day that he was going to go to the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem, Fox was also the pool network. And so I got to do that. And so I'm in the motorcade with the president um, in a vehicle behind him. But we're still going from Jerusalem to Ramallah, where he meets with the Palestinian president. He does a news conference. Then we fly by helicopter from Ramallah to Bethlehem. And we go into the Church of the Nativity. And so here I am at the birthplace of Christ with the president of the United States. And again, I'm like, how did I get here? And so those were just like days I think I'll remember for the rest of my life. Um, there are other days where, you know, I stayed up too late watching the New York Giants Denver Broncos game on Monday night football years ago. And the next day was September 11th. And so immediately the, the events of the day, the news of the day, just threw out everything else we were working on, everything else we had been working on for months. And it was all of a sudden a reset of everything that we were covering. And so that day I ended up on the rooftop of our building here in Washington. And from our rooftop in downtown Washington near the United States Capitol building, we could see the smoke coming from the Pentagon. And later that day, I ended up outside the Pentagon with a giant hole in the side of it and could not believe what I was seeing. Um, and then a month later, I was in Islamabad, Pakistan for the buildup to the Afghan war. And then a few months after that, I was in Kabul, Afghanistan for the early 
part of the war. Um, and then a few years later, I was in Baghdad with American soldiers who were there to protect the Iraqis when the Iraqis were having elections, when we realized if the Iraqis were afraid to vote, that that would obviously be a terrible sign for the world. Um, and if the Iraqis went to vote and terrorists blew up the polling places, that that would be a disaster too. And so there I was with these American soldiers, basically making sure that all the people in Western Baghdad felt protected enough to go out and vote. And they were waving their purple fingers in the air, showing that they had voted. Um, but it's just, you know, there are sometimes the stories you're working on where you go, this is going to be really great. And then there's the unscripted event that comes up, the world event that comes up where you drop everything and you say, boy, this is going to be a, a chapter in my book one day. Yeah, I just need to let that digest for a second, because thank you. Those are some remarkable moments in history, let alone your personal history. Like those will be in the books forever and you lean in when other people lean out right your job at that moment to your point on all those instances is I'm yeah it's a public service in that instance so high performance how do you click in is there something you go like you meditate like what do you do to suddenly go all right game time I'm feeling all these things personally but I have a job to do when you're outside the pentagon and you, you know you're seeing all these things how do you switch on and just game mode I need I have a job to do great question um and there are moments that you take with you and you feel like when it's finally over whether it's six weeks in Afghanistan or two weeks in Baghdad where you're living it 24 seven with the troops um, where you realize like, okay, I've got to like unplug for a bit just to kind of reset, be ready for the next massive story. Um, and it's, you know, there are some stories that just kind of linger with you where you, you're, you're, you're struggling with what you've seen, um, the heartbreak. Uh, I spent 17 days at Columbine High School in Colorado here after a school shooting there. Um, and that was before September 11th. And that was a, a painful, difficult story to realize that these children's lives had ended uh, and even those who survived were likely to be scarred the rest of their lives based on what a couple of their classmates did, um, very troubled classmates did uh, at their school. And so, um, you know, as a Christian, um, sometimes prayer is helpful to kind of reset, just to clear your head and, you know, ask the good Lord to give you the strength to, to be the best version of you. Um, but, uh, unplugging a bit, um, spending some time with your loved ones, uh, being grateful that you made it home from that assignment safely. Um, all very important, I think, in terms of being ready, recharged and ready for the next one. Absolutely. And to pivot slightly 
honorary checks in and thinking about ways that you do unplug with your family with prayer that's beautiful um of all the places you've been and this is like the this is the dessert of my questions I guess um of all the places you've been I'm a big foodie I need to see the sights and eat the food are there places you go oh if I wasn't in DC I would love to be there not even just to visit to live you clearly liked Texas is there somewhere Mm -hmm. else in the states or the world you could also see yourself in this role well I have not been to your home country so that's (laughs) definitely on the bucket list um I did go with President Bush to an APEC summit in Sydney Australia and the opera house in the harbor there I thought man I've got to come back here with family at some point because this is a phenomenal part of the world. And so I regret that I haven't gotten back there yet because I think with children, like their vacation, I guess, is during Australia's winter. And so I would love to go when it's miserable winter here in Washington, D.C. for summer there uh, to get out of the cold. But um, I definitely want to make that happen. So I, I need to explore that part of the world. And I'm not just saying that because I'm speaking with you, but um, I, I got a taste of Australia. When you go with the president, you're never in one place for terribly long, but we were there a few days and I thought, man, this is a great place. I need to come back and really spend some time and, and get to know the people and try the food and go to Melbourne and, and you know, explore beyond uh, just Sydney Harbor. But um but that's definitely on my bucket list of places to go. Uh, places I've loved being, uh, I went with President Bush to the Beijing Olympics. And uh, so, you know, as a sports fan, um, it was really cool to be there. Being in China is, uh, you know, with them being such a huge player on the world stage these days, that was fascinating even for four or five days. Um, And so one of the great things about, covering the president of the United States is just getting to go to kind of all four corners of the globe, even briefly, uh, and getting a taste of some of these places. And, and we realized that sometimes when you travel with the president, you go ahead of him on like a charter plane to be in position for when he lands. And so if you were not going to be on air force one, if you were going on the charter, um, I always thought like, I've got to explore even for a few hours just to get a taste of the place because once president lands, you're basically totally focused on what he's doing and not on your own exploration of this fascinating new place. And so, um, you know, we went to the Holy land. I I took some time with some colleagues to go see some of the sites. Um, and, And I think that's something I've tried to do to basically not just see hotel rooms of, of these great places but to actually get out and experience them a bit yeah and keep this enthusiasm you have for it because you obviously love the news and you love the world so that's why to report on it and be able to get some exploration and it made me think you know the olympics come every four years typically and there are the unknown events that happen but in the calendar year for you are there times of the year where you're like i know i'm going to be reporting on X, Y, and Z. I assume some electoral things, but are are there knowns in your calendar? There are. There are some predictable things. Um, When you cover 
United States Congress, for example, typically late January or early February, the president will come up to Capitol Hill and give a State of the Union address. And so when I was the chief congressional correspondent for Fox, I knew every year when State of the Union came, um, typically that morning, I would start at breakfast with the House Speaker who would want to talk to the reporters ahead of the president's speech to kind of lay out his or her vision of where things are in American politics. Um, and then I knew that night that I'd be there for the president's address um, and offering reporting from what I had gotten from my sources throughout the day. Um, so that's a predictable thing. And then, yeah, we're heading into the election cycle here in the United States. And so uh, the typical calendar is we start in Iowa in January, which is very cold. Then we go to New Hampshire in January or early February, which is also very cold. Then we go to South Carolina, which can be a little warmer. Um, and so there's kind of this, the calendar gets adjusted a little bit, but you know every four years at least that you're going to be going to a lot of these early states as Americans try to sort out who they want to be the presidential candidates that will be in the November election. And so um, so that can be some of the more predictable things. The dates may fluctuate a little bit, but we know we're heading into a political year, and so it's going to be a busy year ahead. I think every year for you is probably a very busy year. And I appreciate, shout out to Mark Beale, Professor Beale, because you took the time to come up to Rutgers and give back to your alma mater. Alma, alma mater? What is it? Alma mater. Alma mater. Thank you. That's a very American phrase for me. Um, so I loved that I got to speak with you and I was just so engaged and thrilled with the way you would ask questions and you held yourself. So very much a role model for me. And I have one funny sign off question but before that I just wanted an open is there anything you feel like we haven't discussed uh whether that be on the tall poppy or the feedback or your work anything we haven't discussed that you think oh Grace that might have been a good question to have asked well Grace since you were kind enough to talk about our encounter together when we were both at our alma mater Rutgers University let me just say that yes I enjoy going back to our school and trying to be, uh, if possible, an inspiration for younger people. Um, but I also get a lot out of that. So I was inspired by you because I thought, how wonderful this woman from a totally different part of the world who at 18 years old or so decided, I'm going to go to university in New Jersey in the United States of America, a million miles away from your family and friends and compete in division one athletics at the top level of American collegiate athletics. And now you got this cool podcast and you're doing great things with your life, living in the New York area. I mean, you're an inspiration. And, and so I found speaking with you and some of the other people we met that day to be energizing to see what younger a younger generation of college graduates are doing in this great country pursuing their dreams chasing their dreams and and making a difference and so i want to salute you thank you thank you so much um i'm gonna be beaming all day from that i totally appreciate it and i agree those other people we were speaking to and even that slight generational difference um 
but there was I forget his name but TikTok star he's got like 4.3 million followers and to me I'm like good grief that's he's only a couple of years younger but I'm like how are you even doing that or Jen who's on Broadway with Chicago like that's the thing I love about this podcast is speaking to people tall poppies like you and just being like how do you even get in that game like being a on Broadway I'm like Jen we need to talk too, please. And so she's going to sure. join me as well, because that's incredible. Well, I applaud your curiosity because good for you for seeking out interesting people and uh, digging into their experiences. And I think it's a benefit for you. It's a benefit for me. And it's a benefit for all the people listening. And so well done. Well, thank you, Mike. Uh, final question, super surface. Um, I ask everyone this, if you had to have just one meal for the rest of your life, mm -hmm. breakfast, lunch, and dinner, the same meal, what is it going to be? Ooh. So I lived in Texas. I began to love Mexican food as a result of that. Um my ancestry is Greek, and so Greek food's always popular in my house. Uh, but last night for my birthday, we had a pizza party with some family and friends. And so why don't I go with that? American pizza. How about that? I think that's personally, not that I pick favorites, I think that's pretty good because you can adjust it depending on your meal. Like what last night, what was your favorite? topping situation we had some pepperoni and italian sausage which so is like a little bit of a meat lovers delight but we also had some vegetarian pizzas on the table for some um or just the traditional um you know cheese and tomato sauce and so yeah there was something for everybody on the table and so i think you can adjust it based on your mood brilliant subsidiary question or subset question in terms of drinks associating it, I think I give everyone a disclaimer that water and coffee are allowed. Are you a big coffee drinker? Uh, constantly, yes. <laughs> Thank yes. You. Part, of, part of the being on and being alert and being ready for whatever the world throws at you in terms of the news business is being awake. And so uh, a little coffee to start the day, absolutely. And, and if you need a little pick-me-up throughout the day, uh, a little coffee, a little tea, whatever it takes to be on your A-game, absolutely. Thank you, because there's been some people who are like, no, I don't drink coffee. I'm like, I can't be hearing that. I need I need fellow caffeinated people around. So good to know I'm validated that you're a coffee drinker too. 100%, absolutely. Well, uh, thank you so much again and again. I'm just in awe of what you do. It's genuinely so inspiring and motivating. And to take the time to talk to me on Tall Poppy Talk, Mike, I just wish you the best. So thank you for being on today. All right, Grayson, I'm going to call you whenever I can get my family together to go to New Zealand because I want to know all the best places to go. Thank you for being you. And let's keep in touch. Thank you so much for listening to Tall Poppy Talk. We'll see you next time. Feel free to check us out on socials, YouTube, and